0: To the Total Sucker Show. My name is Daryl Grove, and joining me for a second day of remote recording, his name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello, hello. My fort remains intact. I'm assuming yours does, does as well. Yeah, my um, it's formerly my walk-in closet. Some clothes have been removed. It is now <laughs> my walk-in podcast studio. Uh,
1: we've come full circle since the uh, 2014 World Cup in which I was frequently recording in my closet. I'm hoping yours is slightly larger than mine was and slightly less full of uh, random junk. Have you not seen it? No. Didn't you see it when you helped me move in? I mean, I haven't seen it since it's been converted to a professional podcast recording space.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, you'll have to come by and take a look when the pandemic is over. All right. I look forward to that and nothing else at all. We have lots of listener questions to talk about today. Some really good topics that we're going to get to dig into. We're going to talk about the Netflix show, The English Game, which oh I am suddenly excited about, thanks to a listener question. Uh-huh. Um, but first, Taylor, you promised me, and I don't know what you're going to talk about, uh-huh. you promised me some positive, soccer-themed coronavirus news. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, more or less. It's just a few little like pieces of news people might have missed or might have seen but maybe just saw the headline or something like that. But yeah, I feel like it's just, there's so much bad news out there, and justifiably so because it's a scary time. But yeah. I just like it, it can be easy, especially when we're in our isolation pods. And I know you and I are fortunate to have uh, people in isolation with us, but I know there are lots of people out there who are sort of like feeling disconnected, feel like there's not a lot of like reason for hope. And so I just think there are little things. Like, for example. You don't have Uh, to
0: give me the rationale for good news. Just give me the good news.
1: Uh, Real Valladolid. Did you see this one? No. Uh, basically, La Liga, I think like the leagues are still moving towards trying to get back underway. Uh, so La Liga has offered all the teams uh, basically coronavirus testing kits for their players. Uh, Real Valladolid rejected those tests on ethical and moral grounds, or medical grounds, excuse me. Club spokesman uh, David Espinar said, No player has presented any symptoms, and we believe that there are people out there who are much less well-off than we are, who need them far more than we do. It is those people who should have the priority. So, you so this do is have- the re-
0: reverse Utah Jazz? Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So you've got clubs sort of recognizing that there are bigger issues and I think trying to uh, help with that. Similarly, uh, did you see the Roman Abramovich Chelsea news? No. Uh, Roman Abramovich announced uh, that basically the... Uh, What's the hotel called? The Millennium Hotel, which is uh, attached to Stamford Bridge. It's a very nice high-end hotel Uh, that is being changed to accommodate National Health Service staff uh, who are working in London hospitals, who basically can't get home, who are working overtime. Uh, They will be accommodated there. Abramovich is going to cover the cost of their accommodations for a two-month period, and then if uh, additional arrangements need to be made, so be it. I think they basically said they're expecting to just kind of book out the entire hotel for NHS uh, staff people. So again, you've got clubs sort of recognizing... That they can help in
0: limited ways, and they're trying to do so. And I've got. I two- heard, I heard mm-hmm. a similar story. I, I don't know if I'm stepping on a story that you've no, already go got, but I, I saw Gary Neville announced mm-hmm. that his hotel, you know, yep. like Neville and I believe his brother maybe Bert and maybe Butt and Skulls, maybe Beckham's a silent investor. Yep. They they opened this big fancy hotel in Manchester, mm-hmm. literally called Hotel Football. Um, <laughs> he said that what they're going to do is send the majority of the staff home on full pay, um, have a skeleton staff. Take no more guests and they would make the hotel available for um, healthcare workers, which is, you know, the English phrase would be National, health, national mm-hmm. health Service staff, NHS staff, to be able to go to work and then come and stay in the hotel so they don't you know, go back and potentially infect their their loved ones. Big shout out to healthcare workers, by the way. Those people yeah. are on the front lines taking huge risks every day but I love this this idea from Chelsea and Abramovich and I love this idea from Gary Neville that at least if those workers are going to be in isolation at least it can be luxurious isolation after a really tough day on the front line exactly and I think it's just like not having to worry about
1: upkeep you can just go to a space fall asleep wake up there'll be breakfast there and you can get back to work I think it probably eases a little bit of the stress at least I hope it does but the two that I really really loved I've got to share with you uh my new favorite Scottish team uh Stenhouse Muir I'm sure you've heard of them Yes, at, me I, I think they're a part-time League 2 club in Scotland. Uh, they have established a club hotline uh, stashed by volunteers and uh, club members, uh, including club coaches, to help deal with local needs, ranging from uh, fixing broken fences, to grass cutting, to procuring supplies, to engaging in hour-long chats with uh, local residents, especially no, they- those who are in the kind of uh, high threat area, or the yeah. most vulnerable area, so they're trying to kind of keep tapped into the supporters in their local area. Similar, uh, Stevenage... Uh, uh, Alex Turnbridge, uh, Stevenage's chief executive, has organised a community care line for over seventies, uh, offering food deliveries, prescription collection, and dog walking, in addition to signposting advice about uh, accessing specialist local services and businesses. Players are also uh, have the opportunity, if they so take it, to have hour-long chats with uh, members of the community, especially those who are seventy or older. Uh, Love basically, it. So some
0: seventy kind of year old some seventy-year-old fella could talk to his favourite centre forward. For there you hour. go. That's yeah. exactly
1: the plan. Yeah. And so basically <laughs> what, if you, what if you
0: get a plan- you don't like exactly, exactly. oh it's, reserve left back
1: you were crap last week <laughs> like say, exactly let's talk about let's talk about that for an hour that feels like a sit- that feels like a Ricky Gervais-esque sitcom I'm not I guess he would be the like under fire manager who has to make all the unpopular phone calls I could see that happening but I just appreciate that clubs are sort of Moving above themselves to try to like uh, look out for the community around them because that's yeah. the community that then you know funds them when things are better. So it just feels like there are sort of these individual moments, these team moments, these organizational moments that I think are easy to lose sight of when there's so much stressful stuff. But it's worth remembering that sort of everybody is trying to work towards a common goal of uh, surviving and staying together and being a- as happy as possible to the extent possible.
0: Let's hope that you have many more positive short stories to share um, over the I, coming weeks. I plan weeks. to make it a recurring so, yeah.
1: feature. I hope everybody else out there uh, does the same so that I have material to report. Lovely. Um, mm.
0: And if you've got positive stories from around the United States, please email them to yeah. us, contact at com. We would love to hear about them and we can hopefully um, share them on the show. Um, I've, got, I've got one for you that I, I just remembered. Please. I retweeted it earlier. Um, bug Eaters FC. Mm. Um, the owner, Jonathan Kalura, has said that any uh, any gear, merchandise brought from Bug um, all the money will go to an Omaha, um, or oh, sorry, a Nebraska uh, coronavirus uh, charity, um, and he'll also match and he'll donate the same amount that you spend on merchandise. So if you buy like a $20 t-shirt, he'll match that. So it's $40 and then $40, the entire profit d- then double goes to um, a, a local coronavirus charity. That man is a good man, not he just sure because is. he took us
1: out for free pizza, but mostly because of the coronavirus <laughs> thing.
0: And Bug Eaters FC, it's good merch as well. So you, you also is. get some good looking merch. Um, well, I uh, so I've maybe got my, my could... jersey next to me right now, in fact. So there you go. Lovely. Mine is in here somewhere. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> if you don't mind, Taylor, you're doing the editing. Would you mind yeah. putting um, a link to the Bug Eaters FC merch uh, uh, website in today's show notes?
1: That I can do, my friend, that I Lovely. can do. But I can also take some time to uh, help you and help myself
0: answer some listener questions. Shall we get to yeah. that next? Yeah. At First, it's a question from Ryan Muck. Mm-hmm. Ryan Muck, it's, like, it's a question that he kind of abandons halfway through because he realizes he knows the answer, but then asks <laughs> another question. It's really good. Are you ready? Yeah. Ryan Muck asks, who's the greatest <laughs> men's player from a country most would describe as a minnow? Or, who's in your all-time Minnow eleven? since the answer to number one is probably George Weyer?
1: It probably <laughs> is. It might be George Best, depending on where you put Northern Ireland into the Minnow category. But I would put them in there, I mean, and I would say George Best is, is maybe, maybe, their type, maybe their co-presidents in terms of the, uh, I, the Minnow eleven.
0: I would argue that Northern Ireland, for example, have been to Euro 2016. Um, so There's they have that. been to a tournament. I could name you some other good Nor- Northern Irish players. Colin I Clark scored the- a goal in the World Cup for them. Exactly. I mean Johnny mm. Evans, right? But you could you could argue that in terms of the, the minnowness of the nation versus the talent of their very best all time player, George Ware uh the for Liberia is the biggest gap. Alright, you you've made a very compelling argument. Yeah. Like, and Liberia think... we're never gonna make a tournament, um but and George Waya is a Ballon d'Or winner. Yeah, there's just there's no I can't think of anything that's quite the same. He's, and I he's, can barely... he's a
1: blue, he's a blue whale in a small pond.
0: He sure is. The only other Liberian player I could name you is Christopher Ray. Does that name ring a bell? It um, does not. He, he got himself a contract at Monaco and at Arsenal and then bounced around all over the place. But it seems like he got those contracts because there was a rumor he was George Weyer's cousin, but mm-hmm. also George Weyer, I think, sort of opened some doors for him and persuaded a few people to give Christopher Ray a chance. Um, so George Weyer is so big in Liberia that he can get players into the Premier League even though they're not quite good enough to be there. Wait, is this not the Southampton story? No, that-, no that guy was just completely lying. This look, is.
1: Look, wait, who, who did he claim to be uh, uh, relatives he, with?
0: He claimed to be George Weyer's cousin. Oh my God.
1: <laughs> I'm going to make a similar case. Uh, yeah, the, only other, uh, Day, right? the only other uh, Liberian uh, player that I am somewhat familiar with is uh, Timothy Weyer, I think is his name. He doesn't really count though.
0: He's American, sir. Yeah.
1: He's American. Uh, I'm going with the Jared uh, Dubois theory uh, from uh, the broadcast I was on yesterday where he was arguing that Giovanni Reina – I'm going to say this as delicately as he did. Giovanni Reina was with Claudio Reina in the USA-Mexico game in 2002. So he was then making the ar- <laughs> argument that Giovanni Reyna has already worn the armband for the United States uh, because he was with his father during those uh, that game. Jared Dubois needs to learn the life cycle of spermatozoa. Yeah, I think also, uh, I think also, Zemunirano <laughs> you know was born in like October of that year, so pretty sure that it already happened by the time uh, that game is oh, kicking off. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, we can avoid uh, the birds and the bees. We can instead try to come up with our our best minnow eleven. Um, yeah, I do think like I will have some Northern Ireland players in there. We can have some conversations about what constitutes a minnow. But I would say, as with most all star teams, very very top heavy, very attack heavy will be this minnow eleven.
0: The one the one nation I think I want to debate with you mm-hmm. um is Wales. I okay. think I saw in some text message earlier that you mentioned you you thought Wales were a minnow and you were going to include them. I would argue there are too many good Welsh players for them to be called a minnow. Here's the thing. I I think I am still co- operating from a like maybe just
1: before Euro 2016 standpoint where yeah. that was sort of a like oh man, can you believe they're going to be in the Euros and then they made that run. And I think you're right that sort of recent history probably makes them uh, definitely not seem like a minnow. I think if you kind of balance it out, it's, it's maybe a bit more like 50-50, but I'm willing, I'm willing to knock them off if you want to uh, really yeah. keep
0: it to uh, limited sides. And just to strengthen my case, they have been to a World Cup, right? They went to the mm-hmm. 58 World Cup and they've come very close, right? They've just, just missed out so many times. It's like they almost went to multiple World Cups and Euros. And now since they expanded the Euros, they went to Euro 2016. They qualified for Euro 2020. So when that happens in 2021, they'll be there. Um, and I'll bet if there's an expanded World Cup, Wales will be regulars at the World Cup. So, And there's also just too many players, right? You could say Gareth Bale, Ryan Giggs, Ian Rush, Mark Hughes, were Aaron Ramsey. There are endless players that could come from Wales. So I would not describe them as minnows.
1: Okay. All right. Well, that, that may change my, my shape a little bit here uh, with okay. what I've got going on. But, yeah, do you want to just try to throw out some names here?
0: Um. Uh, so... I've got a lot of names I could throw at you, mm-hmm. or I could try and go through my 4 3 one lineup.
1: Okay, let's go with the 4 let us start in goal. Okay. I've got Shaka Hislop. Where are you going in goal?
0: I have gone for Bruce Grabala, who Ooh. was obviously one of the most famous keepers in the world in the 80s and 90s, but played his international football from for Zimbabwe. Born in South Africa, grew up in Zimbabwe when it was called Rhodesia. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a minnow of a national football team. Um, Shaka Hislop, I... I don't know, like, I, I think it's harsh maybe to call Trinidad a minnow. Can we make the tiebreaker? Which nation is the most minnowy?
1: Yeah, I think that's fine, and <laughs> I think it, I think it probably is Bruce Grabular for sure in that regard. Because it is a strange thing when, when we're talking minnows that like like is is like Costa Rica, for example. I think if you were doing this on an English podcast, they would say like, "Oh yeah, Costa Rica are minnows," yeah. but because we have that familiarity, we know how good they can be and have been historically, and the runs they've made. Like I wouldn't put them on that list. Oh, also, and-
0: World Cup quarterfinalists, like exactly. in twenty fourteen. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So Bruce Bruce Graubler of Zimbabwe and Liverpool. Ingle.
1: All right. Uh, who else have you got?
0: Uh, my right back is Sun Ji-hai of China, who uh, played for Manchester City in the in the 2000s. All right. Uh, my right back was question mark, so I'm happy to go with yours. <laughs> okay. My centre-backs. This was tough. I had quite a few to choose from. In the end, I've gone for... Johnny Evans of Northern mm-hmm. Ireland. I think Northern Ireland did make it to Euro 2016, but it's the only tournament for a while I can remember them making, and they basically went there, defended, yep. then went home. Yep. Um, and Sami Hoopier of Finland, who, again, was a magnificent Premier League defender. Uh, you remember him for Liverpool. He had mm-hmm. some really dominant performances where you really could just remember Sami Hoopier heading balls away all day. Um, Finland did make Euro 2020, right? But I think it's the first tournament they've ever qualified for, and it's something of an outlier
1: here is my question for you though, Daryl. Uh, yeah. Did Sammy Hippia ever win the Premier League? He definitely did not. Well, that's why I think we should go for Wesley Morgan. Uh, Wesley Morgan was my centre back partnering Johnny Evans.
0: So you're gonna call you're gonna call Jamaica a minnow. I okay. think so. I mean, again, yeah. they've
1: been to a World Cup, I believe. Yeah, they've been to a World Cup. They've been to a couple. Um, yeah. But I, I think Wesley Morgan. Sure. Yeah, I don't know if Wes Morgan has ever played in a World Cup. I don't feel like uh, he has uh, certainly not cemented himself in that way, but has at club level. And I do think a big part of that is like this player who seems like they should be a regular for the national team and playing in World Cups. And when they're not there, you're like, oh, right, they, they play for that team who didn't make it. And I think that's where I have Wes Morgan in my mind. But Sammy I mean, Hupia is also probably a solid I, one,
0: too. I was going to say, I would see you uh, Wes Morgan's Premier League and raise you Sammy Hoopier's Champions League win in 2005. Yeah, OK, there's that. So then it's who's the most minowy, Finland or Jamaica? And I honestly don't know the answer to that. Nor do I. Well, how about since since I've won the first couple, we'll go with yours. So Wes Morgan and Johnny Evans as our centre-backs. Is that good? Uh What about left-back for you? Left-back I think was easy. Um, It's a Georgian (laughs) left-back slash centre-back. Left Kobe No, Kaka Kaladzi, who Ooh. played for Milan in the 2000s. Really, really effective left-back or centre-back. Kaka Kaladzi of Georgia, the Georgian national team. How not do we state. both have a Georgian? <laughs> Do you have a Georgian? <laughs> I'm not kidding.
1: Levan Kobayashvili is my answer. Uh, yeah, he, he, I believe he made over 100 caps uh, for Georgia, is currently their uh, FA president and a member of parliament, parliament, played for Freiburg, Shaka, and Hertha, has the most caps of any Georgian player, played left back for them, but never went to a World Cup. I also had a Georgian there.
0: Ooh, I guess I don't know what to do here. This I mean, is, this is a really odd situation.
1: played for AC Milan, so I yes. think you, you've kind of got that. Like, it's Milan or, I guess, Schalke would be which one is bigger.
0: All right, Kaladze then. It's Kaladze. Right. Um, Kaladze in at left-back. All right, I move on. I've got a two-man defensive midfield. Mm-hmm. I've got Victor Wanyama of Kenya mm-hmm. and Nabi Keita of Guinea.
1: So I actually went with a, a 4-4-2, but given that we're getting rid of the Welsh, I've got to change that <laughs> one a little bit, so I'm happy to go with uh, with what you've got.
0: Okay. So Victor Wanyama, I guess mm-hmm. the most high profile club is Spurs and Navigator's most high profile club is Liverpool, mm-hmm. uh, Kenya and Guinea, respectively. Okay. I'm ready to then move on to midfield. All right. Um, I have gone for, did you rob me of Sammy Hoopia? Yeah. We went Wes Morgan instead? Mm-hmm. Well, this is perfect. Thanks. I've got another Finn as my number 10. I in know. In the 4231. Who is it? Is it Yari Litmanen? It's Yari Litmanen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolute genius of a number 10, Yari Litmanen. Uh,
1: unfortunately for you, I'm going to fight you hard on this one because the yeah. obvious answer is Marco Echeverry.
0: Ooh, that's a good one. Didn't they have the same haircut as well, which is weird. It's <laughs> a distinct possibility. That they, said, they I They both believe... have a weird mullet, right? One just has a lot of one's like a more of a flowing mullet and one's more of a very uh finished mullet. You know what? I think Marco echeverry has been to a World Cup though.
1: So I, I think you may. I think you may win this one. I believe Bolivia went to ninety four, and I believe Marco Echeverri was in that squad. So, Ooh. with that in mind, I think we, we. I'm giving honorable mention to Marco Echeverri because I wanted to get. That's basically the only South American country you could go with. Maybe Venezuela, uh, but it's Venezuela, Bolivia. But I think, given that they may have been in a World Cup, Marco Etcheverry. I think we can give it to uh, to Yari Litman and that's fine. Okay,
0: okay. so Litman's in at number ten. Mm-hmm. My right winger is George Best. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, except that he's
1: a left winger, but yeah, that's fine.
0: Well, my left winger is Alfonso Davies.
1: Ooh. That is crafty, sir. That is crafty. I mean, Canada not going to be happy. With, they're going to a World Cup, lest you forget. Are they? Twenty twenty
0: six. Oh, we still don't know if all three. <laughs> if the, the the hosts are the only hosting ten percent each of the tournament, we don't know mm-hmm. if they're automatically qualifying. I mean, they probably are. Right? But I would say Alfonso Davies is far and away the best Canadian player. Right now, and maybe the best Canadian player of all time, right? Even right now, and he's, I don't think he's even finished with his teenage years.
1: Yeah, I think the only other nominee in that regard would be Owen Hargraves, and he played for England. So There, there we go. go. I have an yeah. update for you, Daryl Grove. Yeah. At the tournament finals, El Diablo uh, was sent off for kicking Los Armateus four minutes after appearing as a substitute in the tournament's opening game against Germany. That's Marco Echeverri. So there you go. He went to a World Cup. I I said this, time, Mateus.
0: Let's get him on the bench. I've got a bench to name as well. So Marco Echeverri is on the bench if we need either some attacking threat or just some like kicking threat.
1: Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I, I had uh, George Best on one side, Gareth Bale on the other. But since you are depriving me of the Welsh, I will I- instead uh, <laughs> I will instead uh, honor with what you've got. So we can go hope, Alfonso Davies. That's fine.
0: I hope Canadians aren't too upset about this, but I think historically it's fair to class them as minnows, even if they are definitely on the up at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, since
1: we're we've sort of we're moving away from the midfield, where would uh, Georgi slash Georgi Haji be for you in this one? Because Romania historically were successful; they go to the World Cup, they're this strong team. But then, since then. You don't really think of Romania as being this dominant powerhouse, and he is far and away the best player on that team. But I I didn't put him in my lineup because it's still, with that said, they've been to a World Cup, they've had some success, similar for like Hungary and uh, and Bulgaria as well, why I didn't have, say, Dimitar Berbatov on my team.
0: Yeah, I mean, Hungary have been to a World Cup right. final and were favourites to win it. Exactly, you know I mean? right. Uh, Bulgaria have had some level of success. Romania, Haji's not. it's not like Haji's the only player, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, think, I always think of that, if there's multiple really good players, and even like some like really good mid-level players, Players like Dan Petrescu, um, who played for Chelsea, which, um, which also,
1: by the way, could not sound more like a made-up name.
0: Exactly, but it's real, right? My name's um, Dan Petrescu. Oh, sure, sure, uh huh, uh uh-huh. Dan Petrescu. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Romania in that time had a lot of good players, right? It wasn't like it was Georgie Hagi and just like ten other random dudes. So that's mm-hmm. why I never really thought about him as a as playing for a minnow national team.
1: All right, all right. And then uh, since you've gone four two three one, I'm going to assume that you have George Wea starting as your number nine. I absolutely do. Go yep. on, George Weah. Uh, did you find that there were about 900 other candidates as a striker slash forward?
0: Yeah, on my bench, I've got Emmanuel Adibayor. It's mm-hmm. one of my first choices off the bench. I've of Togo, Togo. Yep. yeah. I mean, Togo have not achieved much. Adibayor is far and away their most famous player. I also I met some Togolese Togans um, in in New York a couple of years ago, and they had met Adebayor, And when when they just knew that I knew who Adibayor was, they talked at length about him as being like the most famous person ever from Togo. Yep. That makes yeah. sense to me.
1: Uh, yeah. So you could go that one. You could go. You almost sort of said his name earlier. You just said the other one. Uh, Ali Da'i of Iran could be on that yeah, list. Though go, Iran, yeah. again, have had success uh, at yeah. various levels. You beat the U.S. I guess that counts. Uh, <laughs> here Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang uh, I... definitely won. I
0: I would quibble with the definitely because he was born in France, played Uh for some French youth teams, and then chose Gabon. His father was born in Gabon, raised in Gabon, and then moved to France. Mm -hmm. Um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang grew up in France and Italy. I'm sorry, who does he play for? He plays for Gabon, but okay. mostly sure. because he didn't quite make it with the other teams. I mean,
1: hurtful. Uh, th- that's fine. That's why I didn't have yeah. him starting. I had Ali Da'i and George Weah in my in my four four two. Dwight York was my other one that I had on the bench, but could definitely come on. Uh, again, it depends on how you want to see Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah.
0: I've got Ryan Nelson on the bench as well. New Zealand centre-back. Do you remember Ryan Nelson used to play yes. for Blackburn? Really, yep. really good centre-back. Mm-hmm. New Zealand definitely minnows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also went for an extra defensive midfielder, just in case we need him. Shall we, Joseph, formerly of the New England Revs, yep. and uh, Grenada.
1: Yep, I like that one. Oh, he came up in conversation a lot in that broadcast yesterday. Because- Why? Because... <laughs> Because they couldn't remember if it was Granada or Grenada, it was a whole debate. Uh, oh, I good. think the culmination was that we, the United States, has probably bombed either one of whichever may, one it may be. Uh, <laughs> yes. So other other like possible selections I had: uh, Mirko Vučinić of Montenegro, remember him, uh, formerly yeah. of Juventus. Idra uh, Gudjansson of Iceland could be in there. Mm. Uh, Enrique Mkhitaryan of Armenia, uh, yes. he was also on my short list as well.
0: He, I forgot to put his name on my bench. I also realized if you were going to somehow deprive me of Alfonso Davies, I might have gone Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan. So yeah. another version of the yeah. starting eleven might be George Best, maybe if you say left wing is his best position, George Best on the left and Mkhitaryan on the right.
1: Yep, I, I, I'm alright with that too. Uh, we could kind of bounce it, but yeah, Mkhitaryan is in there, he's in the squad, we can say that
0: for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think that's about all, all I had. All right. I've got a few other um, honourable mentions. Uh, Yossi Benayoun um, mm-hmm. of Israel, Israel. Uh, who played for Liverpool. Ragnar Klavan was another centre-back I was thinking oh, yeah. about, he's Estonian, yes. um, also played... Briefly, a uh, couple of That was, that was one of my national before.
1: teams I meant to check. I had a whole list of Minnow national teams that I did not check. That was one of them. <laughs> Can I ask you this? What was uh-huh. your research process like for this? Uh, chaotic <laughs> 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 it really was it was sort of like I went with the obvious ones then I, I kind of looked at every single federation and looked at the the teams the countries in there that I either thought like had probably had some success or maybe had a few players I looked at former Ballon d'Or winners former FIFA Player of the year award and then like former like AFC players of the year going all the way back to see if there's anybody in there that I felt like people might know or, or might be worth mentioning here I did have a very a few very esoteric names uh, if we got to that level as well
0: so I went with, um, I think I started around 100 or so in the FIFA rankings mm-hmm. and went through each team and literally Googled best Estonian player. That's a way to do it. Best yeah. Lebanese player. And then you'll get, Google will give you like a nice list. And usually the most famous player f- ever from that nation would, would pop up. I, okay. I can, I can yeah. see that. That's a, that's a fair research it took, uh, approach. It, it took a little while It took a little little while. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. So, if this team plays, I think that they should dress nicely for the occasion. Um, And if they do, I think they should use today's sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by The Black Tux. If you want a suit or a tuxedo or any type of formal wear, go to TheBlackTux.com.
1: all right, first of all, that's a phenomenal transition by you because I genuinely thought we were going to now design a uniform that was I was <laughs> like is it green and blue with a minnow on it? How are we doing this one? That felt very nature-y to me. Um but yes, I think if they did want to be like totally outfitted in very nice, nice tuxedos. I mean, they're they're like the minnow participants, maybe they want to stand out a bit more, they want to make that impression. I do feel like the black tux would allow them to do that because they let them choose from a variety of styles. You can get exactly what you're looking for, the exact right fitting, and you know for sure because they're going to send it to you. You can try it on make sure it works if it doesn't you send it back they do the alterations they change it up exactly how you need and then minnow fc 11 look perfect
0: the free home try on is what you talk, what you're talking yep, about yep, the yep, free yep, home yep. try on is when you uh, get what you've ordered comes to your home um, a good while in advance you can feel the fit and quality before you commit and if you need to make some alterations because maybe you didn't know how long your arms were you got it wrong somehow um, if you need to make alterations you can send it back and you will get something that fits you for your big day. And I if you think- want that big day to be remembered for the right reasons, you can order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code Sucker. What were you no. about to say, Taylor? Sorry, I cut you off.
1: Uh, I was going to say, that's the black uh code <laughs> SOCCER for 10% off your purchase. Uh, the Black Tux formal wear for the moment. Thank you very much to the Black Tux for sponsoring today's episode. And I would say that if we were going to have alterations done to our Minnow 11 formal wear for when they get off the bus, they want to look fly right before the game. I do think we should add, you know how NYCFC, and I'm sure a lot of other teams, but NYCFC comes to mind, they've got the flag of New York on like the back of their necks in their yeah, jerseys. Yeah. I think our, all of our tuxedos should have the various countries that these players <laughs> Oh, come from on the back of their necks.
0: Yes, beautiful. Like a little um flag thing on the back. Yep. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yes, yep. that's exactly what should happen. I love I it. I like it. I um, like it a lot. All right, ready for today's next question? I today's like next question comes from kareem Rahim Tullah. Karim Rahim Tula asks it's another ceiling question, Taylor. I think we've we've opened the floodgates to ceiling questions. I believe we have. Who has the highest ceiling? Christian Pulisic or Alfonso Davies? This is a good question, because it pits a big nation against a minnow.
1: Here is how I approach this, Daryl. <laughs> I, I literally looked up, how do you, I je- like, what, I what is ceiling? I, I really did. I looked this up. Like, what do people mean when they say that? Because like, it is not a thing that you and I really ever talk about. It's not a thing I ever use. Like, I feel like that's a, a thing that happens in sports movies. Is like two dudes are talking about who's got the better ceiling or whatever. But it's not one I've ever had. So, okay, the way- so
0: the ceiling is like the maximum of your potential. How about that?
1: A way of comparing players who are not in their prime based on an assumption of how useful or skilled they will become. Yeah, there we go. So All what right. I said, right? Yes. Yeah. So here is my thought process. Uh, it, initially, I was like, it might be Christian Pulisic because Alfonso Davies is now a defender for Bayern. He's playing outside back, occasionally center back, if the situation uh, requires, but usually a fullback. Um, and I doubt they're going to change that anytime soon. So then I was like, so let's set Davies' ceiling right now at being maybe something like Jordi Alba. All right? Then I thought... I don't really have any sort of player reference for Christian Pulisic because I still don't really know where Frank Lampard is going to use him and what exactly is going to be his best spot. So I think, with that in mind, I have to give it to Alfonso Davies just for the purposes or for the reason of I can sort of understand where his ceiling is right now and it feels very high. If it's Jordi Alba, whereas with Christian Pulisic, I, I'm sort of less certain about where it's going to go for him.
0: I can yeah, I can go along with that reasoning. I would also just maybe argue that because Alfonso Davies has already proved that he can play winger. Pretty much as successfully as Christian Pulisic, yeah. right? If you've seen Alfonso Davis um, in full dribble, he can do a lot of the things that Pulisic does when he's running at people. Um, but he also really can play left back, which I yeah. don't think Christian Pulisic can do. If you put Christian Pulisic at left back in the Premier League or in the Bundesliga where Davis is doing it, I think Christian Pulisic would be in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> so Davis right. has some, some defensive gifts. He's still learning like all young left backs are, right? Um, but he's also literally just a bigger dude. Right. So I think he he is more physically imposing than Christian Pulisic will ever be unless he gets some of that like weight gain 3000 that Cartman has um, (laughs) in the South Park. Um, So purely physically um, and with the extra position, I've got to give it to Alfonso Davies.
1: Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. And then my final note on that one, since we're in agreement, would just be that, like, I, I, Alfonso Davies, yes, is starting, like, regularly in the Bundesliga at left back, uh, which is maybe not the position he sees long term. We'll see what happens there. But I would say that, like, if Christian Pulisic had been starting every single game for Borussia Dortmund at wide midfield, we would have been really, really excited. And that really wasn't the case, especially in the final uh, season he had with Dortmund. So even there, you can sort of see that Alfonso Davies is already a regular starter for Bayern Munich. And Christian Pulisic wasn't quite quite at that level for Dortmund yes it's different positions but still like so Alfonso Davies therefore I feel like can move on to another level and Pulisic still has to get to that regular starter level first
0: and also some disrespect coming to Chelsea but Mm -hmm. uh, Alfonso Davies is already a regular starter for a bigger team than Christian Pulisic has ever played for because Bayern Munich really are in that next level Real Madrid Barcelona category of clubs right they're a super club but have they opened up their hotel to NHS workers they s- not yet, they
1: haven't. Well, there we are. There we are. It would, right, be, I-
0: it would be weird to ask NHS workers to travel to Bavaria after work every day. <laughs> and after Brexit as well? <laughs> yeah, it'd make it even more complicated, right? <laughs>
1: All <laughs> right, well then, uh, let's consider that one answered for now. Uh, we look forward to your letters. Uh, in the meantime, Andrew Lengen <laughs> asks, uh, what do you think about the Hakim Ziyech transfer to Chelsea? Do you think he'll fit well uh, in the Premier League? And what position do you see him playing?
0: Yeah, I like it. I think it's a good move, uh, especially with what uh, Pedro and William both of their contracts expire in 2020. Mm-hmm. And it definitely looks like Chelsea and Frank Lampard are refreshing the the winger pool right they've already yeah, I, got Christian Pulisic they've already got uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi has come through um Mason Mount sometimes on the wing sometimes number 10 and i think Hakim Ziyech is the the player that will join and will essentially they will have a full replacement for Willian and Pedro once he joins
1: yeah i think so. i think the report i saw today was that they're uh, they're definitely going to let Pedro leave on a free Willian's future is uncertain they've offered him a one year deal he wants more than that so yeah i think uh, overall your point stands that maybe yeah. both of them are out the door so then you bring in uh, Uh, Ziyech, for those who are unaware, a 26-year-old Moroccan right winger, turns 27 in March, so uh, I think 40 million euros for a 27-year-old seems like an odd bit of business, especially when you recognize that he's coming from the Eredivisie, and there's always that stigma of goal-scoring attackers or players who are very creative on the ball in the Eredivisie moving to the Premier League and what can happen there, but I do think, based on what I've read, from what we've seen of him, but then from what I've been reading about him from his mentor and his former coaches, it feels like this is the perfect time for him to be moving not a year ago not three years ago but right now it feels like he has sort of the maturity and level-headedness that maybe he didn't have in years past to be able to deal with the pressures and the everyday in and outs of playing for a Premier League team and especially one like
0: Chelsea that makes sense to me. And in terms of the uh, position he'll play, I have always seen him play on the right wing yep. with his left foot. So I assume that's what he'll do for Chelsea. And then they'll have a nice inverted winger thing going on, right? They'll have Pulisic on the left with his right foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have uh, Hakam Ziesh on the right with his left foot. And I honestly think his left foot is the key here. I think when every, everything I've seen from Hakam Ziyech that I really, really like, it's not about running at people and dribbling. It's about finding incredible unexpected surprise passes yep. with that left foot. Mm-hmm. He can float in a cross that seems impossible to defend so many crosses I've seen from Ziyech I think because they're weird in swingers they like float over the heads of defenders in a way that like a forward can run onto it I'm really looking forward to Hakam Ziyech like he's on the right wing he cuts inside and then he floats one with his left foot to like round about the top the the far left of the six yard box and Christian Pulisic is running in to meet it on the other end I can really see a lot of that happening I can see him struck Davies is going to be doing that I can see him striking a load of uh, shots from distance. I could see him having a little dabble at number ten as well, and being the uh, creative central attacking player for Chelsea. I think you never know, but I think he'll do really well.
1: So uh, I agree, and I'm gonna I'm gonna close with this. Uh, I forget his mentor's name. I just wrote down mentor, but there were two <laughs> two key notes that I mentor. really enjoyed. Uh, that's the one. Uh, Steve Mentor. Uh, he said basically that he thinks right now is a perfect time for him to go to Chelsea, specifically because Frank Lampard is there. Oh, it was uh, Bula Hoos, uh Khalid Bula Hoos, mm. uh, was saying. I think this quote comes from him. Not, used to play, Chelsea, right? yeah, exactly, used saying, to play for Chelsea, right? Yeah, exactly. he's saying, like, I know what Frank Lampard is like. I've played with him. I know what he's going to be as a coach and what he has been. And basically the way he likes to play, the style he wants to play, that suits uh, Ziyech really well. Antonio Conte would not have worked. The, like Antonio Conte in charge of Chelsea, that would not have gone well. Uh, so that was one quote from uh, Boulahouz, but the, his mentor said of Ziyech, which is, I think it gets to your point about how he kind of has a lot of different tools. Uh, he has learned not to always put on his smoking jacket, but sometimes his overalls. And I find that to be a tremendous <laughs> quote that explains sort of the development of a youngster into a more mature, uh, sometimes known Nonsense. Sometimes, some nonsense sort of flair.
0: What an absolutely beautiful phrase. That's that's for that's that's quote. That's Khalid Bularuse, That's his quote. Uh,
1: no, I think the the, the second one was Bulleruus. I forget who the first one is. It's like a person he played like pick up with, even though they were like twenty or thirty years older than him or something like that. They're from the same town.
0: So he's learned to not always put on his smoking jacket, but sometimes to put on his overalls. Yep, love it. I yep. love it. All right, next question. You ready, Taylor? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've just realized I've been asking all the questions. Do you want me to to? Uh, wait I think, for I, you to think ask I asked the last one, Oh, you sure oh, did. All right, will ask you too. Ed Ritter.
1: Uh, Ed Ritter. Hercules Gomez and Sebastian Salazar have said that the compensation for the U.S. men's national team, the compensation they receive uh, from U.S. soccer, far exceeds that of the Mexican national team. How does the total dollars the U.S. men's team gets for games and appearances compare to other national teams, both top tier and below?
0: So I had a bit of a back and forth mm-hmm. with ed uh saying we will try and answer this but it's actually quite hard to find this information right yes it is Uh, especially if you just go googling what you'll mostly find is world cup bonuses which is a whole different beast right Mm -hmm. it's not that's not the the usual like this is how much you get per game this is your bonus if you win right what we did find uh from a new york times story is that according to at least the the cba that the men were playing under in 2016 the u.s men were paid five thousand dollars per game with an average bonus of eight thousand dollars if they win. $8,166 was the average win bonus uh, for the United States men's national team players. So you're looking at about, if you win a game, $13,000 a game. So 5000 okay. basic, average of $8,000 bonus. Okay. The only other nation I could find um, with some solid numbers, like outside of the World Cup, was England. So the England national team, those players receive £1,500, it's about $2,000-ish, for um, uh, winning a a match, a qualifier, a friendly, that type of -of run-of-the-mill game. £1,000 for a draw and £500 for a defeat. And crucially, those players then get all, everyone in the team gives that money to charity uh, via the England Footballers Foundation Supports Mm -hmm. Cancer Research. That's the name of the foundation. So what what do we make of that then? Because first, like the numbers you're quoting make it seem
1: like, wow, the U.S. men's team is ridiculously overcompensated.
0: What I make of that is that if you play for England for the last 20 years or more, you are already earning an absolute fortune from your national team, right? right. And so the bonus you get... Sorry, earning an absolute fortune from your club team, right? So the bonus you get for playing for England... It sort of doesn't matter in terms of uh, your day-to-day money and how your life's going to go, right? Whereas if you go back, I mean, I've heard that that thing with Eric Renaldo and Alexi Lalas talking to Grant Wahl about negotiating. Uh, with the federation before they went to the 95 Copa America about how the bonus structure would go. That's because those players didn't have many sources of income. Yeah. So I think there's just in recent memory, there's been a situation where playing for the men's national team was the main source of income for top level American soccer players. Similar to how it is for the women now, right? If, you, mm-hmm. if you're a women's national team player, you're making a lot, lot more than the average uh, female American soccer player. Playing for the national team is where all the money is at. And I think um, men's soccer in England uh, with the big nations, not even with the big nations, if you're playing in a big league, your national team just isn't a significant source of income for you. So it kind of doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So you're you're not going to negotiate hard, right? England players, if they actually try to flex their muscle, I'm sure they could get more than £1,500 for winning a match, but they don't need it. So it's okay.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's uh, all pretty accurate. Uh, we I did look at some other countries. A lot of them are not disclosed. And then to your earlier point, a lot of them are based on World Cup bonuses and performance incentives for a qualification and all that. So it's tough to find just like individual friendly reports. I do feel like maybe Herc was coming from a, I played for the national team. I know what I got paid. I have friends on the Mexican team. I know what they got paid and I know the difference.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Would not surprise me at all.
1: So let's just, uh, let's just ask Hercules to come on the show and explain it all.
0: I mean, he might do. He, he might, might do. He's often he willing to talk about this sort of stuff. Yeah. I will say that the current situation with the men's national team, um, it's actually a testament to how hard those guys fought back in the 90s to get, to get decent money. I mean,
1: if you were sending somebody in to negotiate on your behalf and you wanted like, the best possible deal... Lalas and Ronaldo seem like two good people to send in there to get some jobs done.
0: This is true. I don't know that they were the chief negotiators. They were just the two people that I heard interviewed on Grant Wall's podcast about it. I stand by my statement. (laughs) Ronaldo, especially. I feel like he's not leaving until he knows he's gotten what he wants. All right. So many more questions Mm -hmm. to answer. But first, Taylor. Ah! Ah! Those are the screams I used to make when I would cut myself shaving before I knew about Manscaped. Thank you, Manscaped, for turning my loud shrieks into multiple peaks. It's weird because those sounded sort of like scripted and not really organic. Uh,
1: I feel like maybe we need to hear an organic scream from Daryl to know truly what it sounded like.
0: I mean, I did it last time we did Manscaped. Um, I did it again. Just, I think, uh, honestly, it's it's your turn to uh, to to try to to scream um, as if as if you're hurting yourself while shaving. And here's the best thing about
1: the Manscaped Lone Mower 3.0. This is their third generation trimmer featuring advanced <laughs> skin safe technology so you can keep your bad boys nice and smooth without having to uh, exclaim in a loud way that feels natural, or organic and scares your entire family.
0: No more cuts and nicks with the Manscaped Lawn Mower 3.0. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest trimmer ever created, and it's just been released. We've said it once before, it's the Lawn Mower
1: 3.0. The battery will last up to 90 minutes, so you can uh, have one very, very long shave, or more likely you can spread it out and you don't have to keep charging it over and over and over again. And you've got the LED light.
0: I go for forty-five minutes, then I take a fifteen-minute break, then uh, another forty-five minutes.
1: Oh, yeah, the English standard. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then and then you know if you're if you're shame shaving, you don't want people to know they've got the LED light on there, so you can do it in the middle of the night in the pitch black darkness.
0: Why wouldn't you just close the door and turn the light on? Daryl, because people don't always think things through, okay? Sometimes you need a lightning <laughs> ball in the middle of the night, and you got to make things happen. So wait, I like to understand the ad copy. What is the point of the LED light? It illuminates grooming areas. Oh, so it's like you can really focus in on the the area that you are grooming. Okay, yeah, I, understand. I, would, I understand. I would say that
1: like I, I have like done some like woodworking when the sun is setting and it's a little bit darker, and even when you have the light, it, it can be a little bit harder to see, like little imperfections, little things like that. So maybe it just gives you that much more light to be able to see the areas that you're on
0: is woodworking one of our manscaped euphemisms or is woodworking literally woodworking in this that was case? literally
1: woodworking uh i cannot say that i have ever groomed myself in the darkness that's not <laughs> really the best way to do it you want to be able to see what you're doing it's i guess that's probably, why you have the light as well
0: it's probably for the best and um, mm. listeners can try this out for themselves and they can get 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code tss at manscaped.com .com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code man excuse me with the code TSS at manscaped.com. Mm-hmm.
1: Your your partner, your Nether regions, all of it will thank you. You'll thank yourself and we will too because you've used our promo code and that helps us.
0: <laughs> thank you to Manscaped for sponsoring today's show. We'll Indeed. get Taylor to do the exclamation next time. See Here's, here's the
1: thing. I am probably like uh, giving my, my dogs like, personalities too much and treating them like humans. But I do think <laughs> that they're sort of like it's gone from being really excited that my wife and I are both home to like, why are you still here? Uh, and, I, and I do think that if I were to suddenly exclaim loudly, they're both going to come running. And I'm not sure that's going to be great for podcast. <laughs> <yet>. <laughs> do
0: you really mean that about your dogs? I found that my dog's been super, super thrilled that we're just both hanging around the house all day.
1: Uh, I, well, the, one of them is. The, the tiny one who just wants to sleep all day. The large one is sort of like, well, you're here. Should we be playing? Should we be doing stuff? Should we be doing activities? She's a bit oh, intense. She's the working she is. dog. Yeah. She sure is. Uh, we've um, been doing a lot of hide and seek and, and hiding her toys, so she has to spend time finding them.
0: Oh yeah. All right, next question. You ready? Mm-hmm. Matthew yeah. Graham. Matthew Graham says, I see central fender- defenders do mm. the following a lot. A right winger carries the ball down the wing towards the end line. Okay, Mm -hmm. everyone with it so far. Right winger is going down the wing towards the end line. The left fullback follows them back, right? So left fullback is going with the right winger towards the end line. And the entire back line follows them back inside the goal box, Um, even if the central attackers remain closer to the 18. When the winger cuts it back, the attacker is completely unmarked and easily scores. Why do central defenders do this? Rather than staying closer to the attacker, are they instructed to do this? So essentially, why do the central defenders drop when the left back has to drop because he's chasing a right winger
1: right, All right so, so daryl is our resident central defender i'm gonna uh, throw out a couple of different answers and then daryl you can agree or disagree or emphasize what i've said but okay. i think one of them is that your natural inclination as a defender and what you're kind of trained to do is to drop as deep as the ball is because basically if the ball has advanced past you it's onside and you're sort of out of position so as you drop into that six yard box you're there to sort of deal with a driven ball in into that corridor of uncertainty i think you're also providing cover uh, in case that left back gets beaten. Now you're sort of in position to deal with it as opposed to then having to scramble backwards to try to make a play that could easily lead to a penalty. And I think you, generally speaking, are sort of backing that defender, that left back to sort of cut off the path to the top of the box and so essentially that defender will then force that attacker down the line or force them to cut inside and then you've got the coverage in place but even if they are somehow able to play that ball towards the top of the box I think you'd rather be in a position of the ball going further away from goal and giving you time to step out and block that shot as opposed to being too high up and leaving space in behind that the opposition can easily attack.
0: Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. I think I actually think the most important one is the offside line. Because yeah. once once your fullback has gone deeper and deeper and deeper or you know more and more and more towards his own goal, trying to defend this winger Anyone can run in behind you, right? So if you stay high, the attacker could get a run on you, get in behind, and then he's completely unmarked in the middle. So you have to drop with your deepest defender, right? And if you can't, if your if your deepest defender has to drop because he's chasing a winger, you kind of have to go with him. um, Is the then yeah? I think you mentioned it, but the other thing is, if that fullback gets beaten, then you don't want that right winger to just be in on goal immediately. So someone's got to be ready to be sort of the covering defender. Um, And then honestly, I understand that like it's weird to leave the attacker. up there like that but you really would be hoping that maybe a midfielder would pick him up
1: yeah You would. You would. Or at the very least that, like, somebody is there, somebody is making that covering run to at least harass the shooter before a clean one can be taken. But I think what you want to have, like, this is maybe a bit weird, but uh, I think if you are sort of, if you've dropped in and you're the defender and now that ball is maybe being played towards the top of the penalty area and you have to step out and poke that ball free, if there's contact, I feel like in that situation the defender tends to get that call because it's seen as, like, the attacker is doing everything they can. They're being overly aggressive to get on the end of it they've committed the foul but if you flip it around and if you had stayed at the top of the box and then that attacker had gotten maybe a little bit goal side and a little bit better position and then there's contact i feel like that is usually given to the attacker and could easily be a penalty so i think it also puts the defender in a better position to make a play and to get a foul if it's a 50 50 situation
0: i would also quibble with matthew's description of what he's seeing when the winger cuts it back the attacker is completely unmarked and easily scores I'm sure this has happened. Yep. Um, like this happened with, um, say, Brian McBride scoring for the mm-hmm. US against Mexico in the 8th minute, the game that we reviewed yep. on Soccer 101. You can go and listen to our breakdown of that goal if you go and subscribe to Soccer 101. And so obviously. should and you should it does happen it doesn't happen as often as you think I think is the mm-hmm. point it happens if that happens there's been a breakdown elsewhere like a midfielder not tracking Brian McBride or um, a defender not then stepping out fast enough so um, that's why players do it right it's to protect the middle to protect the fullback and also to maintain the offside line that's the, the very basic version of it you ready for the next question Taylor? We have an agreement I
1: am indeed Adam Buffington the most appropriately named person I'm going to say it with a British <laughs>
0: Adam Buffington that's <laughs> Look, not even a British don't accent g- alright if we're to talk about this i can't mm. have any more of your um english stereotypes all right i don't want to hear about monocles i don't want to hear about anything else so i just want to give you i want to give you a warning at the top of this question i'm not I even want joking just to know
1: that that outburst was so shocking my monocle did indeed fall off
0: i will break <laughs> i will i will break the social distancing rules and come to your house just to strangle you and now i
1: spilled my tea. I'm so shocked by that. Threat. Okay, I'll stop. Uh, Adam Buffington, I wanted to know if you had a chance to see that Netflix uh, has a new soccer TV show starting this coming Friday. Uh, it's called The English Game, and it looks like Downton Abbey, uh, but for footballers. Since there are no games for a while, maybe we could get reviews of individual episodes.
0: I didn't know about this. I'll be honest. Nor I, read did this, I. I read this question. I thought, nah, I don't know. I'm not really <laughs> yep. interested um you added this question to the question duck right i, I sure wanted to give you credit for this i was like all right if taylor is kind of interested by this i'll go and watch the trailer i am all in i am 100 <laughs> percent in on the english game all it right. is about so what 1800s 19th century you, um, you, want, you want the uh the description i've got go on then all right, uh, from the What's on Netflix review, The
1: English Game is an upcoming Netflix original historical drama sports miniseries directed by uh, Brigitte Styrmus. uh Julian Fellows, or Julian Fellows probably, the creator of Downton Abbey and screenplay writer of Gosford Park, is one of the executive producers. The series won't just be for diehard football fans as there will be plenty of drama shown on and off the pitch. It's set in the early days of football's history. Two clubs divided by class face each other in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. The series will deal with the growth of the game as it crosses class lines to become a global phenomenon.
0: So, yes, it's going to be all about the early days of football and it's going to be about the posh people, the old Etonians. So um, many top hats. Against, um, how dare you, the posh people, the they old wear Etonians. wear top hats, that's literally in the trailer. <laughs> against good, honest, working class people. I am all in for a so bit So many of mus- class- I am in for some class warfare. It,
1: it really is. Well, I know they both have mustaches. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be great. There's, there was uh, like brief glimpses of bribery and professionalism and all these things that were uh, horrible concepts, only yep. one of which remains horrible.
0: I can almost guarantee that it's going to start from a thing of the um, upper-class people looking down on the working-class players they're about to face off against mm. and the working-class players who probably work in harsh conditions, right, because it's like Victorian England, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. having lots of preconceptions about what the posh people are like, and eventually they'll sort of meet in the middle and come to understand each other a little more. Because I am thinking of, if you think of the first season of Downton Abbey... um, I have never watched Downton Abbey. Okay, so basically there's only one good season of Downton Abbey, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. It's the first season. Yeah, so the first season is all about um, Matthew, right, is this outsider like middle-class, like successful, I think he's like a lawyer or something type guy who ends up being... Like a fish out of water sort of situation. Exactly, a fish yeah. out of water, mm-hmm. yeah. He comes to join all the the you know upper-class people, Lord Grantham and all that at Downton Abbey. And he's almost like the viewer surrogate where you are seeing the weirdness of these posh people through his eyes, right? And just how silly everything that they do is. Um, and they feel weird about him and he feels very weird about them and thinks they're silly. But you slowly come to like, you know, split the difference and see that they're real people and he's a real person and you each learns a bit about the other side, right? That's mm-hmm. season one. The rest of the other seasons are just like a nonsense soap opera where they just keep spinning storylines to keep it going because it's really popular. Um, but this is a six-part miniseries, right? So it sounds like there's one, just one story to be told, and it will be about people from different classes coming to understand each other through the game of football. And it looks like from the trailer, there's actually some decent, decently filmed uh, mm-hmm. football sequences in here, which is rare.
1: There's some steady Steadicam uh, sh- shots that I saw at least and i saw uh some of the making of uh yeah it it seems like it's gonna be well done you don't always get that when when it comes to uh soccer movies and tv shows um so do we want to commit to doing a like uh a review maybe like once and then we'll do every like a couple days later we'll do the second episode and kind of spread it out that way
0: i mean we'll probably be back to do another show on friday Mm -hmm. right so Uh, we will at the least have had chance to watch let's just commit to watching the first episode because this is all going to drop at once right all six episodes will drop on friday which means like probably midnight and one second uh, after thursday Uh, but we can watch one episode and review that on friday's total soccer show and we can let listeners know should you go all in on this or not
1: yeah Uh, yeah i think i think yeah we added the stipulation when we were talking about this one off air that we're not going to commit to doing the whole series just in case after the first episode it's just not very good
0: oh yeah uh, it but- could be absolutely terrible i don't mm-hmm. think it will be though because julian fellows really is like you know really uh, talented uh, writer and producer um netflix has put a lot of money behind it by the look of it right it looks like the crown it looks like really well mm-hmm. produced um i've got a feeling it will be pretty good all right i agree
1: uh, can i give you my two predictions for the first episode yeah, go for it. All right, I have a feeling, I've seen nothing of the actual show aside from the trailer as you have, I have a feeling we're going to start like in the game itself, in that FA Cup semi-final or whatever it was, Ooh. and then we'll get sort of flashbacks to different things and that will set the stage for where we are. So I think that's where we're going to begin. That's prediction number one. Happy that's to be a wrong. very
0: specific prediction it that is. the game itself will be a framing device.
1: I think it will. Yeah. I think because we're going to see them like squaring off against each other and then it will cut back to like one of them discovering football or something like that. And number two, there's always uh, to your point about Downton Abbey, there's always in these moments a fish-out-of-water character that allows you to then have a lot of expository dialogue to explain what's happening. And I have a sinking feeling, this will be a good indicator for me of where we're going, that it's going to be a female character is like, what's this game now? And then you have to have the like the male explain what's going on. So if we have the female exposition fish-out-of-water character, I'll be a little bit concerned. That's my second thing.
0: <laughs> my Yes, is that you'll see them. Um, you will see Arthur Kennard, who is the mm-hmm. famous um, like, uh, posh footballer played by Edward Holcroft. This is from my notes. You'll see Arthur Kennard playing for Old Etonians against another posh football team. And that will be ah. contrasted, probably cross-cut,
1: Ooh, with
0: like this. Fergus Souter, who is the uh, famous, said to be the first professional footballer, uh, maybe the first professional footballer. He's a working-class guy who maybe gets paid to play football, played by Kevin Guthrie. You will see him in a very rough-and-tumble working-class game. But you will see each of them execute like a moment of talent or skill right. to highlight them both as really good footballers. But in one is going to be a very polite surroundings. And one is like Fergus Soutre is going to have to evade a Nigel de Young tackle to, he, pu- to pull off what he's doing.
1: Here is the uh, abbreviated version of this. I am saying that we're going like in media race within the game. That's where we're going to start. You are going with Titanic first class versus steerage uh, sequence where yes. you've got them like fancy dinner and then the, uh, everybody doing the dancing and the jigs and the drinking and steerage. <laughs> That's, that's what you're saying, basically? Yes. I
0: dig it. All right. I, I like this. I'm already excited to review the first episode. I'm already more excited than I already was. Put it that way. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Since I, um, I, I got mad at you for doing posh English things, I uh-huh. will close this question by giving you Julian Fellow's full name. Are you ready? Uh-huh. Oh, boy. His, his full name is Julian Alexander Kitchener Fellows, Baron Fellows of West Stafford DL. I have
1: nothing to add to that aside from that's, that's even more Caucasian than like William Leslie Bottom tooth or whatever <laughs> it is on Family Guy. Does blah, 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 blah. That guy, that guy. <laughs> Phenomenal work. Phenomenal work, the English. Final question comes from Mauricio Sadikov. When a team plays a 4-2-3-1, do the two defensive midfielders play the same way? Is there an accepted standard around abilities, as in one is always a destroyer and, one,
0: uh, and the other uh, always creates from deep or something like that? The answer is no, right? Four two three one is the shape, and it just means you have those two uh, two central midfielders who are higher than the back four, but not as high as the attacking band of players. Um, but I think you can have almost any combination of two types of players, right? You could have one purely defensive player and one player who is like so sort of like a number 6 and one player who is a number 8 who then goes and joins the attack while the other one stays or you could even if you're like a really super talented team you could have two registers two absolute maestros like a double pivot in that system you could yeah. do you could do this any way you want to do it it's a very much a mix and match situation yeah which is which i think
1: is explains why the 4231 sort of spread into being used by every team like i think it was like i forget which world, world cup it was that every single team was in a 4231 uh but i think it's because of that versatility. of You could have those two those two midfielders be very deep, very def- defensive, very big tacklers and you could go sort of bunkered. You could have them as very good on the ball playmaking passers who can find sort of opportunities further up the field or can step uh, higher up the field to make plays. You could have one or the other. You could have something else entirely. I think the versatility of the system allows you to have a variety of different players based on sort of what your tactical approach is going to be.
0: I'm thinking, I'll try to think of examples for this and the best example I can think of because we talked about it recently is the 2006 world cup with italy mm-hmm. and the various combinations they could have would be say you could have andrea perlo who offers you not much defensively but he's just this wonderful creator and passer of the ball uh, and you could pair him with someone like uh rino gattuso like who's a, obviously like a bulldog will run you down and win the ball back right so then you've just got one very defensive uh player who will bite your ankles and one one sort of carrying a glass of wine around Uh, very cultured player Um, or they did several times go uh, when he was not suspended they could go uh, Gattuso doing his thing and then pair him with Daniele De Rossi who has the same like energy and bite your legs type situation but is arguably a lot more talented on the ball um, even if not quite as cultured as Andrea Perlo so you really Mm -hmm. can vary it up uh, in all kinds of ways I think 2006 Italy is a good example
1: Yeah, that's a great example. And I think then, like 2006, Italy obviously found the balance they needed to make it work. I think what can happen, though, with this formation, because of the sort of options it provides, is that you can then have players sort of shoehorned into spots because, oh, yeah, you're a central midfielder, so you should be able to do this job partnering another central midfielder, but... If they don't quite fit that system or that fit quite that quite a style, then I think that's where it seems like, oh, it's just two defensive midfielders and this guy can't do that job. So it can be the kind of nuances of the positions can maybe make it seem a bit more confusing or difficult to play, whereas in reality, if you're a good coach who kind of puts the right people in the right spots and explains what you want them to do – it isn't necessarily as important that they, one does this role, one does that role, as long as they both understand the role they are actually being asked to do.
0: I guess the important thing is that they both complement each other, right? Yeah, exactly. The famous example of Gerard and Lampard not being able to play together, if you put Gerard and Lampard um, as the two in a four-two-three-one in their prime, they're both going to want to get up and down, right? So it's really hard to persuade one of them to stay back. So in some ways, that's an example of one that definitely did not and would not work.
1: While football is on hiatus, I feel like we should have them, I guess, w- still with social distancing, I'm not sure how it works. We need to have Gerard and Lampard just do a series of videos in which they're playing together, but they're just doing different <laughs> sports and like different activities, and we're finding out if they can actually do it together.
0: I'll go you one back. There should be a reality show called Can Gerard and Lampard Live Together, <laughs> where, they're, <laughs> where they're on lockdown for the, for the duration of the pandemic. I guess it's a version of the odd couple. I don't know if they're quite the odd
1: couple, but they're a something couple.
0: The English couple. We'll go with that. It's a spin-off to the English game. Perfect. So the English game drops on Friday. Like we said, mm. we'll watch the first episode. Um, we've got our own plan for maybe um, a little bit of content that we're going to be doing on the Total Soccer Show. We are putting together a yeah, we are. March Madness-style um tournament yeah. of classic teams where we it's would true. take a look at classic teams match them up against each other and genuinely think about how each team plays what their strengths and weaknesses are and who would win each game this is still in its early stages we haven't fully got it figured out but i just wanted to float that up there taylor to let people mm. know that 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 is coming on the total soccer show
1: It is. We had initially uh, played around with the idea of just opening it to all teams. So it could be like the Bayern Munich team of one year and the German national team of another. You, correctly, I would add, pointed out that there would be a lot of overlap and a lot of confusion of like if you had those two suddenly playing each other or the Dutch team playing Ajax. That would be confusing as Well, well.
0: Imagine this. Imagine Barcelona 2009 playing Spain 2010. Exactly. That's almost the same team playing each other. (laughs) So I think we are going to limit it to one or the
1: other. We haven't quite decided on which it's going to be. Do we want to decide that ourselves? Do we want to invite opinion? Or should we just uh, uh, make it one decision one way or the other?
0: Let's invite opinion and see what people say. Do we go with club teams? And it'll be the greatest club teams of all time. Or do we go with national teams? And it'll Mm -hmm. be the greatest national teams of all time. I guess... Maybe we won't put it out on Twitter. We'll keep this just to uh, the people who actually listen to the show and don't just follow us on Twitter. <laughs> I'm, okay with, I'm okay with people tweeting us their thoughts, but maybe yeah, yeah. we won't tweet a,
1: like, which one do you think it should be? That's what I'm
0: saying. That's exactly cool, what I'm cool. saying. Okay, cool. we're on the same. Major. We're on the same page, Mr. Rockwell. There um, we go. We, yeah, we so can play together,
1: unlike uh, Jared and my part. There we go. <laughs>
0: I'll stay. You go. You go. I'll stay, right? <laughs> you, me. You, you. Huh, what? What? Huh. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right. I, I have nothing else to say to you.
1: I, I, I feel so slightly odd that I misunderstood what you were doing there, and so we've already gone in two different directions. I don't know if that's good for our midfield partnership, Daryl. Uh, but yeah, I have nothing else to say to you either
0: should that be the new way that we close the show um, yeah. we, we will have plenty to <laughs> say to each other over the coming weeks right to- Total Soccer Show will keep coming throughout the pandemic mm. um, also Soccer 101 will keep coming there will be a new episode once a week we did USA Mexico 2002 last week uh, this coming week we will have another classic match please go and subscribe to Soccer 101 that is the one thing you could do for us in the pandemic if you haven't mm. um, done that so far go and find Soccer 101 and give it a subscribe and give it a listen there is lots yeah. of content in there oh Man, co- I'm- Oh, sorry, I'm excited.
1: I just want to say I'm really excited because I am excited to do the English game because you and I have talked about like sort of maybe doing a TV show, like not even soccer related, but in the past we have talked about like maybe rewatching Sopranos or something like that and sort of going back and forth per episode. So it's a thing we've wanted to do. So I feel like th- this could be an interesting topic. And then if it goes well, we could do other soccer TV shows or other soccer movies or other soccer documentaries. But then, yeah, Soccer 101 with the classic games, This March Madness bracket, we're still going to be answering Lister questions. We're going to come up with other different interesting things that uh, are like, I'm going to aim for lighthearted and fun, maybe some trivia, maybe some competitions that could get some listeners involved. But our aim is to keep people entertained and keep people uh, as happy as possible. Occasionally smiling, I think is our goal.
0: That's, that's a good goal. That's a good goal. All right. Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners. Thank you for listening. Everybody stay safe and wash your hands. And we will talk to you again very soon.